0: Well, good morning. When I was a little boy, I went to church. My mother made me. I didn't really want to go. But I remember this church smelled bad inside. It kind of smelled musty. It was a tiny little church with I don't know how many seats. Maybe we'd seat 100 people max. It had floors that creaked. And the standard issue bright red carpet that went in all churches... And I remember it was really boring. That's back in the days when church was two hours long. And I never understood. You went at 10 and you stayed till 11. Then you had to go back at 11 and stay till noon. I didn't quite understand. Then the second time, the church I went to, they served communion halfway through. And I just, when I was little, I always thought that was a snack because we've been here an hour and a half at this point. But all the adults get a snack and I don't get it. So I'm not sure I understand. When the word church comes into your mind, what do you think about? For some, you may think about an address. I think of 9500 Durant Road. That's what I think about. Maybe you think about when you were a child, like I just did. Maybe you think about the worldwide church. Maybe you think about a building or a place, or maybe somebody just convinced you to come here, and you think, well, church is something I don't even really need. Some people might think church is irrelevant. Church is full of hypocrites. And you know, there have been times in the past where history's not been kind to the church at all. But there's also been times where the church hasn't been kind to history. And while we're in these series of messages talking about timeless truths, the, the just fundamentals of the Christian faith, Today, we're talking about the church and what the church means and what the church is. The church simply is God's mission carried out on earth. It's the way God carries out his mission on earth. So, if you've ever heard anybody say, or you've said, you know, I really like Jesus, but I don't like the church, I get what people are saying. They're saying, I'm attracted to what Jesus says, but the people that say they follow him, I don't really see them doing what he said. And so I'm more into Jesus than I am the church, but biblically, you can't separate the two because the church is the body of Christ. And so today, maybe for you, this will be a rediscovery of what the church is or a reminder of what the church is. Because what Jesus had in mind when he established the church 2,000 years ago was something very different than we sometimes produce today. Jesus had in mind mission and movement when he established the church. There's some Bibles coming down right now. I'm going to share a section of scripture with you. That's the first time the church is mentioned in the New Testament. Just raise your hand. You can have a Bible if you'd like. You can take that home with you or give it away or just use it, and follow along today. I'll also put all the scriptures up on the screen. But I want to share with you the first time it's mentioned, and actually the only time it's mentioned in the ministry of Christ. The first time the word is used, the first time it's talked about, and the only time in the four books in the New Testament that tell the story of Jesus. And it's in the first book of the New Testament, written by one of Jesus' followers, Matthew, and Matthew is recounting what happened and how he followed Christ. And this is what he records in Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, if, if we just read that, it doesn't really catch. So what is it, why is he asking this question? So I'm gonna share a picture with you of where they were when Jesus asked the question. You could actually go here today and you could see this. This is Caesarea Philippi. This is where Jesus said, well, who do people say I am? It's just a big wall and a big cave. It was built by the local governor named Philip to honor Caesar. And around the cave, you can see those little like windows or niches in the, in the stone. And those were idols to gods, specifically the god of fertility. And those idols would be placed so they could know that's where these gods dwell and these are the gods that we're counting on to come through for us. And then that cave that Jesus would have been standing in front of was actually uh, the cave they believed took them to the underworld, they believe that, the, that hell is down there, that Hades, they would have called it. And it's a portal to get to the underworld. In other words, it's like pagan gods central right here. And Jesus is standing at this big building, this big structure, and he's saying, who do people say I am? And it's in this setting with all these people standing around, that Jesus starts to talk about the church when he says this. After he asked, who do they say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So at this point in Jesus's life, there was a lot of rumor flying around. Well, who is this guy that teaches with authority? Who is this guy that that seems to perform miracles and speak on God's behalf. And so people were speculating, well, we think he might be a prophet back from the dead. We really think that's who he might be. And so Jesus' disciples are responding, well, here's who people say you are. And then he asked them a question that all of us get asked at some point. He asked them, but who do you say I am? So all of us have to deal with that question at some point in our lives. Who do you say Jesus is? And he's asking the disciples, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock i will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it See, i can imagine jesus pointing back to that big opening put the picture back up there that big opening and saying like i'm going to build my church and all the powers that could come from there that people think are down there cannot conquer what i'm about to build you can just imagine him pointing and saying the, the powers of hell The powers of the underworld, they're not going to conquer what I'm going to build. I'm going to build something that will beat hell. And Jesus is talking more in a a posture of being offensive, not defensive. Not that the church has to say, oh gosh, we got to build a building and keep hell out. We got to do our best. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, we're going to charge that place. And we're going to beat the hell out of it. And hell's not going to win. That's the posture that he's, gonna, that he's taking towards the church. So who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the son of the living God. Well, Peter, you're a rock. But upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, this is a very commonly misunderstood scripture. Because it would sound like Peter is Jesus is saying to Peter, You're the rock and I'm building the church on you. And that's where people get, well, Peter was the first pope and Jesus built the first church on Peter. He said, you're the rock and I'm going to build the church on you. That's what it might sound like in English when you read it. But if you look at the original language, which was Greek, Jesus refers to Peter first. He uses the word rock two times in this passage. The first time he refers to Peter, which means rock. It actually means pebble or small rock. And he's saying, okay, you little pebble. It's a good answer, but let me tell you something, little pebble. So the second time he says rock, he's talking about himself. And he could be pointing to this same wall and saying, oh, I'm going to build something on a rock. Not you, you're a little rock. But I'm going to build something, I'm going to build something on me. The rock. The truth that we just heard Jesus speak is a foundational truth that it reveals to us the strength of the church that Jesus is starting. There's a word that's used 13 times in the Bible. Every time, it, every time it's used, it's a metaphor. It's not a literal term. It's not literally what they're saying. It's just a metaphor. And the word is cornerstone. And this is what Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone, not literally. But he's using this metaphor to describe who he is. And a cornerstone was used in construction because they didn't have these perfectly milled cinder blocks to build a wall. They had to make one out of stone or marble And it would be the stone they would lay down first so everything else could be in line. And if the cornerstone was perfectly square, then they could build a square wall, a square building, and they would know. They didn't have the instruments we have today. They didn't have the production that we have today. And so it was called a cornerstone. It was larger than other stones. It was carved and chiseled to make the perfect angle it was the first stone laid. It looked. This is what a cornerstone would look like. It's just that stone at the bottom, and there's a few there, but there's one down at the bottom. That's the cornerstone so they can know when we start this part of the wall, everything is going to be square. There's 13 times cornerstone is mentioned in the Bible. Every time it refers to Jesus as being the cornerstone. In the Old Testament book of Psalms, there's a prophecy about Jesus that says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Jesus actually quoted this verse later himself when he talked about, I'm going to be rejected, but I'm actually the cornerstone. And that's referring to the Jews rejecting Jesus, having him crucified, and him actually being, becoming the cornerstone of the church. And so Jesus is saying, metaphorically, I am the cornerstone. Somewhere, that metaphor became literal. And we took the metaphor of cornerstone and turned it into something that was never intended to be. If he's saying, I'm the cornerstone, I am the church, the church is being built on me. There was a word that described people who followed Jesus in the first century. This word actually, when he says, I'm going to build my church. It's, it's a word that comes from Greek. The Greek word is literally ekklesia. And ekklesia is simply a gathering of people for a specific purpose. Not necessarily a Christian word. It's just a group of people gathered around a simple focus. A bunch of people watching a football game. Ekklesia. A bunch of people sitting on the sidelines watching their kids play soccer. Ekklesia. It's a group of people gathering for a specific purpose. And that was the church. The church was always equated with a group of people. But something changed over time. About 100 years after the church began, the idea of gathering transitioned into the place they were gathering. So the church became equated with the building. Because in the fourth century, Constantine made Christianity legalized made it the state religion. He also claimed to be a Christian because up until this point, the church had been persecuted, so they had to meet very informally. They had to meet in homes or in caves or wherever they could meet to keep from being persecuted so they could worship, so they could have fellowship with each other. Uh, there, was, there were no buildings. But then they started this practice of when, when uh, around the fourth century that they started to build structures at the site where people were martyred for their faith. And sometimes they would build these structures actually at their graves. So if you go way back, that's you notice 100 years ago, if you build a church building, what's right beside of it? A cemetery. And so along, around the 4th century, that's when buildings started to be built. But within a decade after that, the movement called the church almost solely became about location. Because churches had the freedom not just to worship, but to own property and to gather. Later, the Germans came up with the word kirch, and it referred to a house the Lord's people gathered in. So the word church in English is not really Any kind of a translation from Greek, it's a substitution for the word ecclesia. You can turn the lights out on Kirch, but you can't turn the lights out on Ecclesia. Those are two different things. And when people began to speak the message of Christ in the world, the Apostle Paul was speaking to a group of Ecclesia, a group of people, the church, and he reminded them of this fact that the church is not a place, the church is not a building, but the church is the body of Christ. It's people. It's all who believe. When he said these words in the book of Ephesians, chapter two, beginning at verse 20. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So what he's saying is, You are a temple of the Lord. Not a literal temple, but when we gather as the church, the ecclesia, the people gathered for a specific purpose, then we become the building. Since our church began, we have met in schools. We have met in movie theaters. We met in a bar downtown for a while. It smelled like beer and pee, but we still (laughs) met in a bar. And people found Jesus there. We've met in, in uh, hotel conference rooms. We've borrowed other churches. We met in a lot of different places the seven years we were nomadic, just searching for a place. And if you're watching this at one of our other locations it's portable, you're like, oh yeah, I, I know, we are. But for seven years we had no location anywhere and we were no less the church. We were no less a real church preaching the message of Christ and helping people change their lives. See, the church didn't begin as an institution. There were no traditions. There were no Bibles handed out. There was no band. There was no paid staff. And there certainly wasn't a building. And when Jesus met with his followers for the very last time after he was resurrected and he was giving them instructions on what he wanted them to do, the last words he said to them are recorded in the book of Acts chapter one, verse eight, when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes up upon you and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this group of people saw Jesus alive and he gave them specific instructions. He's saying, I want you to start where you are and I want you to be my witnesses. And I want you to move out to a broader area. And then I want you to go to places. To them, Samaria would have been a place they didn't want to go. It would have been like, I don't want to go to Samaria. I don't really care if those people go to hell or not. So we're not, we don't want to go there. So he was very specific. Go to Samaria. And after you go to the place where you don't want to go, I want you to go to the very ends of the earth and be the church. Jesus' words then are just as true today. He's giving us a mission on what we're supposed to do. Start right where we are and then move out from there. The three big beliefs that we hold up at our church, that we value, are these. One, we believe that Jesus changes everything. So if you're part of LifePoint, if you're here for the first time, that's our core belief. Jesus changes everything. We believe that people grow when they get involved in community, and we believe that everyone has a mission. And Jesus gave it to us when he said, go be my witnesses. He's saying, start where you are and move my message into a world that desperately needs to hear it. So what he's saying is go. Go from wherever you are into a world that desperately needs to hear my message, our leadership. I'm committed to this. Our leaders are committed to this. That's why we help with starting new churches. And you may get tired of hearing us talk about new churches, but new churches reach new people. That is a fact. We're committed to that. We're committed to not sitting still and moving Jesus's message into the world. Not just right here in our city but around the world. Because of your generosity, we've planted a couple churches in Ecuador. And I've been there several times. The last time I was there, took my youngest daughter with me and we got on a boat and we went off the coast of Ecuador to this island that's inhabited by descendants of African slaves whose ships crashed during the slave trade they swam in the first place they found were these islands and they set up shop and built villages. So when you go, when you get on this 30 minute boat ride off the coast of Ecuador and you get out there, it's extremely isolated. When the tides change once a month, it's covered in water so everything's up on stilts. Everybody has a boat, there's no cars out there. Everybody's got a boat or bicycle or some way to get around. It feels like the ends of the earth. It feels like a place that's been forgotten. But right in the middle of this little village is a church that's speaking the message of Christ. That felt like the ends of the earth. Earlier this year, we got a donation. It, it, you gave $80,000 two times to plant a Church in Ecuador. Earlier this year, we got an outside donation of $80,000 To plant a third church in Ecuador. And you're going to hear about that later in the year and how you can sponsor all those kids there. And we're going to go to the ends of the earth and we're going to plant another church. Now, if you're thinking, well, why don't we do something here at home? Come talk to me. Please come and talk to me after the services, please. If you're thinking, here's, I will look pleasant when I talk to you. If you come and say, well, we shouldn't do that. We need to take care of our own. Is that what Jesus said to do? Did he say, spread the message, my message, take care of the poor, make sure people are taken care of in your country and then stop? That's not what he said. Start near you and then go to the very ends of the earth. So if you struggle with, well, why would we go there when there's so much to do here? Well, why don't we do both? So if you wanna come and talk to me, here's what I'm gonna say. I'll just save you some time. I'm gonna ask Okay, great. You want to do something near, what are you doing? Oh, you want me to do something near. I get it. I understand what you're talking about. But Jesus said the world. So Jesus didn't say, hey, if it's convenient, do it. If you can afford it, do it. He said go. One of our leadership residents, Bobby Wallace, if you were here about a month ago, he spoke, and and he's been on our staff as a leadership resident for over a year preparing to plant a new church down in Nightdale. And we're excited about it. I love the the way he's describing this new church because he hasn't publicized the name yet. He's just calling it the Nightdale Movement. And when I first heard, hey, this is what I'm gonna call it before I publicize what I'm gonna call it. And I thought that is awesome because that's what the church is. It's people on mission being part of a movement. And so we're supportive of him going and doing that. So much so, some of you need to just go with him and do that. Some of you, maybe you're ready to downsize your house or, or upgrade your house or get a cheaper house or house further out. I don't know, a brand new house. Maybe you sell yours and you go down and you say, Bobby, I want to be part of this movement that you're creating. Because Jesus said go. Now, why would I, as the pastor of this church, tell people to go well, because you're not my people. You're God's people. We're God's people. And together, our responsibility is to build the kingdom of God, whether it has Life Point Church or Donnie Williams' name on it or not, is irrelevant. And so, yeah, if you're going to go, that's a win. I will celebrate that. We will say thank you. It'll get some more seats so you don't have to sit so close to people every Sunday morning. Little bit of motives are coming out, you know? But if you go with Bob, what if a 100 people said, we're gonna go and it's gonna be inconvenient maybe to drive down there and, or, or sell our house and move to that part of the town? And, but what if you did it? What kind of stories would be told from that? That's how supportive we are of new churches reaching new people because the church is not a place, it's not a building The church is people living on mission who are part of a movement. And so next Sunday, March the 5th, right after services, there's going to be a lunch. I think it's in your program. Is it in your program how to sign up for that? Maybe not. Next Sunday, March 5th. Go on on Facebook and search Nightdale Movement. You'll, You'll figure it out. You'll be able to get in touch with him and say, I'm going to be there next Sunday, March the 5th. And I want to find out more about this new church you're starting down in Nightdale. Maybe you don't go forever. Maybe you just say, I want to go for six months and help this thing get going, and then I'm going to come back to Life Point. Maybe, maybe you don't do anything as far as going, but whatever, we, whatever happens, we're going to be supportive of this new church getting started to reach new people. So not only are we all about just reaching new people with new churches, starting new churches, There's a group going on a mission trip to be the church in Haiti this coming week. A couple of weeks from now, there's a group getting together to talk about the next mission trip to Ecuador to visit those churches. If you sponsor a child in Ecuador, go to that. If you want to learn more about that, please go to that. But I want to acknowledge something as I talk about the church. When I first started in ministry, this much older guy, said to me, Donnie, you're going to meet some of the greatest people you've ever met in the church, but you're also going to meet some of the worst. He was right. He's definitely right. We have had church leaders come into our home when, when we were getting ready to have our first child and pray over the health of the baby before it was born. And I've had church leaders call me a fool. So you may have been hurt by somebody that had a title Or was a leader. And you have to understand. We can't let the gates of hell win. Because some people misrepresent. The message of Christ. Everybody's not perfect. I'm not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect church. Keep looking. Because you will mess up our church. If you're perfect. You won't enjoy it. We won't like each other. So if you're here for the first time today. And you're perfect. There's no issues in your life and you've already got it all figured out just keep looking come say hello and say hey i'm perfect i just wanted you to know and i'm gonna keep looking and i'll i'll shake your hand and say god bless you please don't come here again so we can admit we're messed up people trying to live mission on mission in the movement called the church but no matter how ugly the church gets at times We have to remember, Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. So no matter what you see about the church, like the church is in trouble, the church is irrelevant, I see all those reports and I laugh because I remember, well, I believe Jesus over those people. Jesus said the powers of hell wouldn't win. So we know, we may have to change the way we do church, it may look different, it may feel different, but the powers of hell will not win. And remember, Jesus gave us that posture of go beat hell out of the world. Don't seclude yourself in a building that says, hey, we're going to keep hell out of here. But it can stay out there. No, he's saying go get it and push it out. Can't you imagine him pointing to that cave that everybody believed was the gateway to hell and saying that will not prevail over what I'm getting ready to start? And here we are 2,000 years later with freedoms that people before us could have never imagined, with opportunities that people could have never imagined building his church. In the book, Courageous Leadership, author and pastor Bill Heibel says this, there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of a community. It builds bridges to seekers and opens arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. The potential for the local church is almost more than I can grasp. Let's pray. God, thank you for the strength of the church. And Father, that we acknowledge we mess it up sometimes. We know that when our strength comes from you, when our mission comes from you, we're part of a movement that cannot be stopped. I pray that every person here today would feel that. And I pray this in Jesus' name.